we have these invitations from God, I believe that are coming from God, where God awakens something in our heart and moves us and, and sort of stirs up a longing in us. And I, I think those things are coming from God. And the question is, you know, do you respond to it or do you just suppress it? Do you ignore it? Right? I mean, you know, when Jesus says in the Gospels, follow me, you know, the disciples could say yes or no. So God is always inviting us um, through these different moments in the in the spiritual life. But we're not always attentive and we don't always say yes. Everybody, welcome back to the show. I am Seth. And this is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. Here's the deal. Prayer. I think if we're honest, I mean, I do the best I can. I pray in the car. That's pretty much my best time to get it done. And outside of that, I feel like I do okay. And then other days, I feel like I just fail at life. Like, I, I can't do it. But it's simpler than that. And I don't know if I'm explaining that well. But the good news is, I don't have to. So I have Father James Martin on the podcast today. In it, we cover a lot of ground, as well as some possible like Academy Award-winning craftsmanship when it comes to movies. I think you're going to like this one. Here we go with Father James Martin. Jim Martin, thank you for coming on today. And I know that this has been a, a labor of, of my lack of calendaring skills. And so uh, my apologies for that, but I am extremely thankful that you were here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I'm glad to be here. So I like to start off with what I've been accused of as existen ex existential questions. Um, so I figure we'll start with that and we'll end with one too, because that's, that's okay. why, why not? When people want to know who is Jim Martin, what do you say? Like, who are you? What are you? Why? Whatever you want to answer to that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, my normal intro is I'm a Jesuit priest, editor at large of America Media. I'm an author. I mean, I think more basically my fundamental identity is as a Christian. Mm. Um, so I think that's probably a good way to start. Um, you know, in the Jesuits, we sometimes say, you know, who are you and whose are you? And I would say that I'm, you know, I belong to God. Huh. So, yeah. I know so little about the Jesuit. I don't think sect is the word. Jesuit uh, practices order, or religious order. Yeah, yeah um, I might actually start there, just at a high level. What is that? <laughs> sure. But um, it seems though that they have prepared you for that question because most people go, "Oh my, okay, here we go." No, um, you kind of have to have your ID ready. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is that at a high level? Just for those like myself that may be sure. ignorant, what does that mean? Yeah. So I'm a I'm a Catholic, and the Jesuits are a Catholic religious order or religious community. The other ones people would be familiar with would be the Franciscans, the Benedictines, the Dominicans. We we live in community. We take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, some of us are ordained and are, and are priests, not all of us. And, um, you know, we're mainly known in the United States, uh, the Jesuits for education. So what is from Jesuit colleges, Georgetown, Boston College, Fordham University, anything named Loyola. Mm. Um, Gonzaga, a lot of big basketball powerhouses, Xavier. So, so the Jesuits yeah, are we, good at basketball. Have, That's what you're we telling are, me. Yeah, we are good. <laughs> um, we have about uh, 26, 27 universities. We have about 60 high schools, middle schools. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so mainly education, but also parishes, retreat ministry, all sorts of things. So hmm. wherever there's a Catholic church, you can find a Jesuit. Huh. Why do you think that you're you're so blessed in the basketball? Is it is it a Jesuit thing? Is it a Catholic thing? Like what what makes Jesuit programs just so you much know, better? I read than a, I read an article about that a couple of years ago that said that Jesuit school, you know, it's Catholic schools, and a lot of times Catholic schools were started, you know, because Catholics weren't allowed in the other schools, right? Um, you know, because of the sort of laws and you know, kind of discriminatory laws, or they just couldn't get in 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 terms of you know, kind of social uh, norms. And so the schools were kind of smaller and basketball was kind of cheap, basically. Mm. You didn't need to have like a big budget. And so, yeah, we have, you know, Georgetown, huh. Gonzaga, uh, Xavier. Um, yeah, some big, big basketball teams. <laughs> yeah. And who knows? I mean, maybe it has to do with the Catholic, you know, Catholic youth organizations. And who knows? <laughs> who knows? But I, I, did, was curious. I think it's because it's cheaper. Someone told me that that was one of the reasons. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I live so... Um, 
I don't know if I'll keep this in or not, but I live right outside of Charlottesville. So basketball has been a big thing of late and my mm-hmm. wife is from Charlottesville. So basketball mm-hmm. is her love language. I don't even think she knows that UVA has a football team. Oh, she okay, does, yeah. but basketball is, we're going to fight about I spent, this. I spent many happy days at UVA. I was, uh, some friends of mine went there and I went down to oh, drink really? a lot of times when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I almost yeah. went there. It was between where I ended up, University of Pennsylvania and UVA. Hmm. That, was the, that was the choice. So. Yeah, I love the area. I don't it's know a beautiful that I, place. Yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, so that's that's where I call home. So, um, well, you have written a book on prayer. I'm curious why. Like, why there are a lot of books on prayer. So, what made you sit back one day and go, "We need to do this"? Like, wh- was this something that you needed for you? Well, well, no. Um, I thought other people would need it. Uh, basically, I had done a book uh, on Jesuit spirituality called "The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything" about. Uh, it's maybe 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that had some stuff in there about prayer because obviously, you know, if you're talking about the spiritual life, you talk about prayer, but I really didn't have the space to, to treat it the way I wanted to. And so I wanted to do a book on prayer and basically because most people think they can't pray. I mean, that, that's essentially mm-hmm. the reason for the book. And the first sentence is really important to me. Um, everyone can pray. Um, because everyone can pray and God wants a relationship with everybody. Yeah. And yet most people think that, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not made for it. I'm not holy enough. I sit down and nothing happens. And so I wanted to invite people into a life of prayer and also to talk about what happens when you pray. That's a really important part mm-hmm. of the book because that's usually in a lot of books on prayer, it's very vague, you know, while, you know, you feel God's presence or you feel close to God or you feel God's invitation to you. And most people say, what are you talking about? I don't know what that means. Yeah, And so I wanted to get down to brass tacks and say, this is what happens when you pray. And this is the kind of ways, these are the kinds of ways that God most often communicates with us. Yeah. I want to start there. So when you use the word pray, can you mm-hmm. kind of give some meat to that? And just for some clarification, so I come from an overtly Southern Baptist, independent, mm-hmm. regular Baptist, depending on the month or year, mm-hmm. um, background of prayer. And so prayer for me has a specific mm-hmm. cultural history and meaning and sure. a specific purpose. Um, well, maybe two, because there's always that side sarcasm prayer where I need to pray for somebody that I know can hear me so that I can passive aggressively correct them in front of everyone and feel superior about it. Yeah, but that's may, not may, what I mean. Like, yeah. You mean may they may their may their eyes be open to the, the true way of God. Yeah, and yeah. they and they know and we know, Lord, and you yeah. know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like sort of weaponizing prayer. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean in my tradition, sure. It's probably most of the uh, most of the definitions are probably overlap. So one of the big definitions, it's a raising of the mind and heart to God, which I think people in your tradition would probably agree with and asking God for good things. So that's, that's part of it. And uh, praise is certainly part of it. But, you know, I look at it more as a, as a conversation with God. So it's not just our talking at God or talking with God, but it's also listening to God. And what does that mean? Listening to the movements um, that happen in your personal prayer and in your daily life. So I, in the book, I call it a conscious conversation with God, right? So it's, and that's a two-way street. The conversation's a two-way street. It's not just me asking, which is fine. I mean, you know, the Our Father is a petitionary prayer, but yeah. it's also me being attentive to where God is speaking to me, you know, in the, in the subtle ways that God speaks to us. Yeah, I love the stories that you interweave. I had a question that is unrelated to prayer, but there's a story sure. that you're telling when you're walking to school as a child, yeah. and you can go one of two ways. One ways leaves you over like a small creek or stream that mm-hmm. you have to jump over. What's the average amount of time that you would end up walking into school with wet feet? You know, it was funny. I was talking about this with my sister the other day, and I said, what do we used to call that? And she said, the ditch. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly this beautiful it's just runoff. trickling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my memory, it was a lot bigger, but it's it's basically a ditch with a, you know, sort of runoff. But it was a little stream. And uh, no, I would. I was very careful. I was pretty fastidious even as a boy, and I wasn't getting wet. I certainly wasn't going to go to school with feet wet and then have to deal with that for the rest of the day. Uh, but now, I talk about walking to school because that's some of my earliest experiences of prayer yeah. sort of on my own. If at a high level, what do you think that most people misunderstand the most about prayer? And I say that because yeah. so many people are siloed off these last year and a half, and I don't know for how much longer. And so we've lost a community of prayer, which I want to mm-hmm. drill in a bit as well. A lot of your book mm-hmm. is really personal, but you, you, you echo twice, I think, like a prayer community, like it joins mm-hmm. you with humanity, but we'll get there. But what do you think most humans misunderstand maybe about prayer? That's a really good question. And I, I think a couple things. One, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, that's the basic thing. People think 
that, you know, look, let's be blunt. People hear about prayer and the life of prayer and people who pray and all my prayer is so rich. And then they sit down, whether it's in a church or in their room or wherever, and they close their eyes and they don't feel like anything happens. Mm. And they say, well, what, so what's supposed to happen? So there's, there's a misunderstanding of, you know, that, that they can't do it. That's a misunderstanding. And because in the book, I sort of encourage people to look at the kinds of things that are happening that they might not consider as, you know, God's voice with them. Um, and then that other people are just blessed with this beautiful prayer life that somehow everybody else is closing their eyes and they have these sort of mystical encounters with God and they're the ones that are left out. Um, and then I think that the third one would be, so one would be, they can't do it. Second would be everyone else does it better than they can. And I think the third would be that if their prayer is dry or they don't feel like much is happening, they feel like they're being punished or that God doesn't like them or God's mad at them or they're not holy enough. So yeah, it's basically, and that's, again, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book to say like, this is for everybody. It's not just, it's not just for people you consider holy. And by the way, those people you consider holy are probably struggling with their prayer as much as you are. Yeah. You have a story in there about that of raise your hand. If you pray, if you pray off, yeah. you pray daily. I, I'm going to forget the the breakdown yeah. there. And then, yeah, there's a part. And I, I had to stop there and I reflected on it for some time. And I, I think that I would also put my hand down somewhere in the middle. I also don't yeah. think I would close my eyes because there's a part of me, I think that wants to see where I stack up and maybe that's <laughs> well, the baker in me. Yeah. So this, the story you're referring to is when I talk to groups, I sometimes say, I close your eyes because people get self-conscious and mm -hmm. I say, how many of you people pray? Most people raise their hands because, you know, I'm speaking to religious groups yeah. and then how many people, um, you know, how many people pray regularly? Well, and more of the hands go down. How many people feel like they pray well and maybe one person will have their hand up. Now, mm -hmm. if you said how many people feel like they ride a bike well, or they drive a car well, or, um, you know, are there, they're good spouses. They'd probably keep their hands up, but mm. there's this sense of no, everybody else is doing it better than I am. And of course, no one, no one is a, is an expert in prayer, but most people feel that they're just, they're just kind of lost at it. And they just yeah. sit down and they flail around. And sometimes things happen to them that they account to God, but, or ascribe to God, but most times they feel like failures. And so I, I really wanted to point out, you know, what happens in prayer and encourage people and really invite people into the life of prayer, which yeah. is, you know, everybody, for it's for everybody. So I want to tease apart those two metaphors. So for riding a, riding a bike is just don't wreck it. Don't fall over and get bruised up. Yeah. A right. car is don't hit people and don't hit other things. Mm -hmm. Maybe don't run out of gas, maybe. So mm -hmm. what would be a definition of successful prayer? Like, where are you going? Well, I think part of the problem is that we tend to look at prayer as almost something like we produce, right? So I don't know if I would even use the word successful. That would be like saying, what's a successful relationship? Well, I mean, it's, you know, loving the other person and wanting to be with the other person. I would say that anything that it helps you encounter God is, is important, right? So, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we need to get away from the idea that it's that, 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 that you you're aiming for success mm. because sometimes nothing happens. So I, th I think that the, the goal might be um, just an encounter with God and just, just deepening your relationship with God. And again, that's God. God's doing it anyway. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's, a, there's a chapter in here called Praying Without Knowing It, which mm. I like um, because I live right at the Appalachian Parkway, and you know how beautiful these mountains are. So I actually yeah. live, I, I don't live in Charlottesville. I live on the other side of the mountain, but nobody knows the city that I live in with population seven. So I say Charlottesville. What's so I have it to, called? What's the city uh, called? Stewart's Draft. So it's mm -hmm. actually, you know where Lexington is, so Washington and mm -hmm. Lee. And that, so it's, if you could draw an arrow between UVA and Washington and Lee, I'm there at the base of the mountain, but I have to go around I have to go 40 miles out of my way, regardless of which way I go, because there is no direct path because it's the George Washington National Forest and you're not allowed to put roads in a national forest. And I'm fine with that because my backyard is now the Beautiful. natural forest. Yeah. yeah. So praying without knowing it, I often find prayer in nature and you have a chapter on that. But there's a line in here as you walk through, what is it? There's nine... There's nine, nine ways, ways of, of knowing praying without knowing it. It's the very last line that I wanted you to rip apart a bit. So there's a part in here and you, you drill through all the nine and you don't have to go through all those because people should write the book or write the book. People should read the book. You ride a bike, you ride, you read a book. Um, uh, but you talk about you wish for people that wish they could pray. Um, you say you may be in church for a wedding or a funeral, see someone kneeling in a pew and feel a sudden longing. You have a desire for prayer itself and wonder what it would be like. And then you say, this can be the beginning 
of a prayer, comma, if you allow it to be. Mm. So I'm curious about that part. What do you mean, if you allow it to be? Like, what is my volition here? Yeah, good question. Um, meaning that we have these invitations from God, I believe, that are coming from God, where God awakens something in our heart and moves us and, and sort of stirs up a longing in us. And I, I think those things are coming from God. And the question is, you know, do you respond to it or do you just suppress it? Do you ignore it? Right. I mean, you know, when Jesus says in the Gospels, follow me, you know, the disciples could say yes or no. Mm. So God is always inviting us um, through these different moments in the, in the spiritual life. But yeah. we're not always attentive and we don't always say yes. I'll, I'll tell you a story uh, someone told me years ago. I'll disguise it. A friend of mine said that she was at a baptism uh, in, you know, in church at a baptism. And, you know, she watches this. She was watching the sacrament being performed by the priest over the little baby. And she felt this tremendous sense of peace and longing and was kind of moved to tears. And, you know, I said, where did, well, where do you think that came from? You know, and for me, the answer is God, that's kind of God kind of reaching down. And she said, Oh, I was just being emotional. Mm. So that's the way we, that's the way we can ignore those things and suppress them. And I, you know, I would submit that people have these experiences all the time, but they're not encouraged to think about them as, as prayer. They're, they just say, oh, whatever, it's just coincidence, or I was being emotional, or, you know, whatever, and they move on. Yeah, yeah, I, I can get that. So one of the things I was challenged by, I don't know if you know, um, I can't think of the name of the book right now, it's called Truth, Prayer, and Identity. Um, mm. It's a fantastic book, but there's a line in there, and it's one of the last books that I read on prayer before yours, where he basically says, you know, you're just going to sit in silence until you I forget what I'm going to say, but basically just sit there because loving prayer is just attention. Like it's just literally being there and being attentive until, you know, at first all you hear is nothing but silence and then you can't hear anything but God. And I'm, I'm badly paraphrasing. Yeah, that. no, I think that's right. I think, I think that I would say, that I think the difficulty with those kinds of things, I agree with that, is mm. that people will say to you, well, what are you talking about? Mm. So like, I understand what silence is because nothing's going on. What do you mean? And what do you mean? Like I'm, I'm hearing God. What is that? What do you mean? Yeah. Like, is that hearing voices or seeing visions or so yeah. that's part of the book, like really saying this is what happens. And I talk about insights, emotions, memories, desires, mm. feelings, words and phrases, you know, stuff that comes up just to say to people, this is what you can expect. So imagine like um, you say to a married someone who's just about to get married. Um, says to someone who's married, um, well, what do I expect in my, what, what, what's, what are some pitfalls and what, what things can I expect? Well, many things, you know, but the married life is filled with mystery. And you're like, okay, that, that's really helpful. But um, what am I supposed <laughs> to expect? Well, you and your wife will become uh, partners in ways that you will not be able to predict. It's like, okay, so what am I? So that, that's the problem it's with some horoscope. of these statements that, you know, that are, that right, that are, um, you know, that are, that are well-meaning and sincere and true, but that, that really do frustrate people mm. and frustrated me when I was starting out to pray. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I discover God in the silence. Well, I, what do you mean? I close my eyes and then what happens? I see, I'm, I try to be very practical in the book because I think people, because I've heard these questions for years, you know, people say, what is, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, the reason I ask that is I am one that suppresses. So I was raised in a way that if, um, if emotion serves no purpose, what is the purpose? Like you're wasting energy, which I've found as an adult makes me extremely non-empathetic, which is really hard to then love on kids when I don't know how to wrestle well with emotions, especially when that's all that my children do. And so I often fail to connect to God in that way. Like I bury myself into the words and, and everything else. But that's that's a me thing. So for me, it's extremely difficult. And I find I I, I hear and, and f connect with God more when I'm pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, I would say, I mean, if you were coming to me for spiritual direction, you know, I'd say, okay, so a couple things. So, all right, that's the way you're you're built right now. That's mm -hmm. okay. God can speak to you through all sorts of other ways, insights, the intellect, nature. You don't have to be moved. That's that's the first thing I would say. Yeah. But I would also say, can you be open to the possibility that in the future that may happen? You know, if you allow yourself to to be open to that. I mean, some people are more emotive and some people are not, they're more intellectual and that's okay. But I think the key is to say, can I allow myself still to be open to that in the future? So as not to say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to just shut myself down from that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the words to quote my wife one time, and this is months ago, I'm going to need some empathy from you right now. Like, 
literally that yeah, comes okay. out of her mouth. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, it's like an invitation. It's a little <laughs> bit of a conversion. And you know, look, Jesus is moved. I mean, they say in the gospels, his heart was moved with pity, right? He felt it in the Greek. He felt it in his guts. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so even he's, even he's moved. I, I referenced it a minute ago. And so you begin the book and I can't remember where, cause I didn't highlight it. Um, but I, I recalled it as I got about halfway in that there are communal and aspects of prayer that unite us with a as a social species to God, as, 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 as you and I and other people. And then you go back into it, and now I lay me down to sleep, which I think is about rote prayers, if, if mm-hmm. memory serves. But you write in here, we unite ourselves with believers throughout the world and down through time. Like, mm-hmm. what about me praying here? And I, I want to draw attention to this, because I think this is important as people don't go to church or don't want to go mm-hmm. to church or can't go to church, or honestly, Jim, may never go back to church yeah. because they've kind of right. gotten used to, I don't think I need to go. Yeah, I think that's important to call out. So what about me praying here, you praying there, and someone else praying in the middle of Michigan right now or Canada or wherever? How is that uniting anything? Well, uh, the first way would be, uh, you know, as Christians, we all believe that we're part of the body of Christ, as St. Paul said. So we are part of, you know, what we call in the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ. So we're all united, you know, as Christians in some way through the spirit. And so when we pray, we're praying together. Okay. That's, that's, that's the first thing you're, you're part of a body, you're part of a, a community. And so when you pray, you're, you're praying with the community and for the community. And that's a little abstract, a, a more practical way of saying it is look, imagine all the people that are praying the our father right now. Like if you pray the our father right now, imagine probably conservative estimate, conservative millions of people, at least are praying the Our Father right now at the same moment. So there's a sense of connection that you have with these people who all over the world are raising their hearts and minds to God with the words that Jesus taught us, okay? And so that's a that's a community. And then, you know, remember that people have prayed this throughout time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, St. Peter prayed. I mean, St. Peter prayed that, you know, Jesus taught him. And then, you know, who else? Nelson Mandela and, you know, Pope Francis is praying it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, you know, would pick, pick your sort of favorite Christian heroes, um, you know, insert names here, you know, male or female, they all prayed it. And we, you know, we know that for God, there's no time, right. And God is be above time, beyond time. He's the author of time, right. Time really has no meaning for God. And so these people are in a sense, are all praying them together, you know, at the same time. So that, that's another sort of mystical way of looking at it. Hmm. So there's, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. one, so, some of them practical, some of them mystical, some of them, you know, more theological, but you are praying in a community. And I think that can be, and we're, look, we're all social animals, right? I mean, and then there's, then there's the, the even more practical um, sort of look at it, which is that we go, we come together in church, you know, whenever we'll be able to go back to hmm. church, but we'll come together in church and we'll pray them out loud together. Yeah. There's a reason Jesus chose, chose a group of people. You know, yeah. he didn't choose like just his assistant, you know, Peter, he could have done that. We're so used to the story kind of, we, we, we know the story and we say, oh, of course he chose 12 apostles and the disciples, but he could have chose one person. I pick Peter, the end, you know, you're my assistant <laughs> and that's it. And you know, it's good that you're laughing, but it, it's, it's true because it sounds silly. Someone said like a, a vice, a vice Messiah, you know, like, you know, like the assistant <laughs> Messiah, but no, I mean, he picks a group because he knows that we need one another and he, he needs people too. So, yeah. so it's, it's group, but prayer, prayer is the, the kind of prayer I talk about in the book is, is mainly personal private prayer, but yeah. ultimately we're praying in a group. Yeah. So I laugh because, so one of the things that I've been doing for about a year and a half now is I try to daily do some form of Lectio Divina. And so I'm, mm, I'm, I'm, I've gotten in the habit of trying to insert and hear different parts of that. So when you say that I can hear the other 11 being like, people can't see me gesturing but you know like what the i had it no like just getting angry and then it i don't know so i can't stop in the back of my well, mind they got, you know that. they used to get angry they got angry at peter and they got angry at james and john and <laughs> it is amazing like the, the amount of uh dissension kind of early on is i mean one of the this is off topic but one of the parts of the gospel i like the best is when james and john say you know can we sit at your right hand and it says the other disciples were indignant. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's amazing. That's preserved for 2000 years. They got annoyed. <laughs> yeah. You can almost see someone standing up, throwing the wine in the face. We're like, what kind of a question is that? I'm getting out of here. I well, can't can be you with imagine, you. Like, what, we, you arrogant us, we, jerk. <laughs> yeah. The two of us want to be number one. Boy. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of us start at three. 
That's yeah, fantastic. Right. Yeah, three, right? After Peter. Yeah, yeah appreciate Peter you. And then James and John. Yeah, appreciate you thinking about us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some yeah. of the disciples. And then, you know, you read the list and the list don't even, the list don't even match. <laughs> so some of them aren't even, they don't even remember the right names. Yeah. Sort of frustrating. Yeah. Give me just a second. We're coming right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Wild Foods. Wild Foods was founded on an obsession with finding the best ingredients in the world to support health and longevity. They specialize in real foods from small producers around the world who are passionate about ingredients and their story. Now, I have recently been partaking in some of their stuff and I have tried the Cocotropic Superfood Elixir. It's good. I've been adding it to my coffee. At work, sometimes I'll make tea and I will add it to that. And I will tell you, it gives me a boost. It is just what I need to get through the end of the day. They have all sorts of things and I already know the next thing on my list. I'm getting the wild lumberjack coffee beans. I'm excited for it. If you want to try some, you can go to wildfoods.co and at checkout, enter promo code SISTAC. That's C-I-S-T-A-C. They have all kinds of products. I think that you'll be pleased. In, in your calling of, of mm-hmm. being a priest for all these years. So for mm-hmm. you, as you've done prayer and walked others through prayer, what characters or aspects of God have shifted for you in your lifetime where you're like, oh man, 40 years ago, I wish that I had seen this facet of God. If you're turning something beautiful, you know, I mean, like, a, oh yeah. That's an excellent, excellent question. I would say that like most people, I started out by thinking about God as like the sort of cosmic gumball machine. You know, you put in the right prayers and you turned it and then now came your desired. That's how contracts you know, work, right? Yeah. What's that? That's how contracts work. That's how, that's how we pray. <laughs> it's, it's, well, <laughs> yeah. So I, I sort of got, I thought of God as very distant. I think that's the, the main thing, distant, far. I would just throw out these prayers and, you know, which is okay. You know, that's, that's one way to pray. But the notion that God would want to be in a relationship with me, would want to reach out that I would be able to, notice places where God was moving in my life interiorly and, and, you know, in my daily life, that would have been people. I would say that's crazy. That's, that's insane. Mm. Why is God going to be in relationship with, you know, me, but Mm. he wants to be in relationship with everybody. So that's one of the key insights of, of the book. And it's not my original insight, you know, God desires a relationship with us. And that would have, you know, if you told me that in college, I would have said, that's ridiculous. You know, I'm I'm not Jesus, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. He does, she does, they do, whatever pronoun you want to put there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the capitalistic church of America, and you don't have to chime in on the politics of that at all, prays in a way that it is a legal contract. It's, I said this, and so now I get this job. I'm naming this and I'm claiming this. Like a to badly pejoratize and overgeneralize everything. It's like a Joel Osteen kind of church of, I did this, I did my part, now you do your part, Mr. Genie, that I'll call God. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I just, I keep seeing it over and over and it's, it's, it's constant. So there's a part in here though, where you talk about Jesus's prayers as Jesus is like a model prayer, um, includes realistic petition. What do you mean when you say realistic petition? He's, he's honest in his prayer. And so the three parts of Jesus's prayer, this is pointed out by Carl Rahner, who's a Jesuit theologian. I just love this. It really helped me to understand it's, it's basically honesty. Mm-hmm. So in the garden of Gethsemane, what does he say? Remove this cup. I mean, he's, he's being honest. I don't want to suffer at that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. At trust, uh, there's the, and, and Ronner looks at the, the prayer in front of the tomb of Lazarus. Right. I know that you hear me. It's a great prayer. Father, I know that you hear me. I'm saying this on behalf of everybody else who's around me. And then the third part is acceptance, which is, he goes back to the garden of Gethsemane that the, the Ronner does in terms of, you know, that not my will, but your will be done. Mm. So honesty, trust, and acceptance. The thing is most people's prayer uh, doesn't, doesn't sort of, one of those things is missing. Yeah. So people say, Oh, I need this. I need this. I need this. And then they either don't trust that God hears them or they don't, 
except the eventual outcome, you know, which is sort of a whole other question or, um, you know, or they're not honest. That's the other thing. That's a, there's a big block for a lot of people who say, I shouldn't pray. I shouldn't ask for this. Mm. So like, if you're, you know, I mean, for example, you were talking about, was it your mother-in-law? Is that right? Who recently Yes, my mother, my mother-in-law's father passed away. You're, yeah. you're, you're, okay. It's my wife's so for example, in these situations, you were praying for things, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, uh, if you were to say, well, I'm, I shouldn't ask for these things in prayer because it's selfish and there are other people that are, you know, worse off. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel like that. And then, then the honesty is sort of short-circuited. So, so honesty, trust, and acceptance, I think, are really important in terms of in terms of the prayer that we have. And then Jesus is the model in all of this. So I, I think one of the most, to go back to that, one of the most common things is people say, I shouldn't ask for things in prayer because I should be grateful. Mm. And then it, it sort of short circuits your relationship with God because you're, you know, you're not being honest. I mean, if there's some big block in there, like if someone's super sick in your family or you're sick or you're whatever, you're struggling to sort of pretend that it's not there and not acknowledge it at least at some point is you know, sort of gets in the way of the relationship. Yeah. So I have a couple more questions and I, I hate looking at the timer on this clock. Um, so uh, so you you walk through three steps of, of prayer. So there's like petitionary prayer, a conversational prayer, which is where I like to live because I can be my sarcastic mm-hmm. uh, prick, for lack of a better word, with God. And I, yeah, anyway, uh, but then you move on to mystical experience. And there's a, you talk a bit about that in your book. But there's a part of mystical experiences that worries me. And so it's like scientifically, the more that you recall and repeat and respeak and, and lay out the mystical experience, it, it does scientifically seem to alter like your brain, the way that we do with memory. So yeah. what do we do with knowing the way that brains work and, and the way that we're created with mystical experiences, yeah. especially in prayer? Like how? Yeah. So the first thing is like a mystical experience is a sense of where you feel completely overwhelmed with God's presence. There's a sense of um, just this coming from outside of you. It's, it's really like unmistakable. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, you know, they don't happen a whole lot, but they do happen to people, right? And it's just that people aren't encouraged to you know, label them like that. So it's not just for the saints or, or mystics, as they say. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very kind of a kind of a heightened prayer experience. But you're right. Um, they are essentially incommunicable. I mean, it's hard to say, well, it was like this, but not like this. It was sort of like this. And I think you're right. As you describe it and even maybe put it down on paper or, or talk about it with someone, it does, in a sense, you realize as you're speaking it, it's like it's just not doing it justice. Yeah. But here's the thing. That's okay. That's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I think that it's worth uh, sharing with people and it's worth writing it down for yourself just so you can have a sense of what it was like, because otherwise we tend to forget, right? We say, oh, that didn't really happen. And I, you know, I've had a few in my life. I, I've written them down in journals and, uh, you know, not, I haven't seen visions or anything like that, but really the sense of God's presence with me in a very strong way. It's important to have those things written down yeah. because then you'll start to doubt that it ever happened. Yeah. So even at the risk of maybe, I don't want to say cheapening it, but maybe sort of taking some of the mystery out of it by verbalizing it. It's still worth it. I think it's still important to write it down. Yeah. This is just a side question. So uh, Silence won like an Emmy or an Oscar or an Academy Award, didn't it? Silence. I'm not sure. It might have gotten for like cinematography or so something. So did you also then win that? Like, are you an Academy Award winning <laughs> human? This and has nothing Academy to do with Award your book. It just popped in my head. Logical consultant? Yeah. No, I was not. <laughs> I helped on the movie, but no, I did not. I was also, I also appeared in a movie, another Martin Scorsese movie. In silence? And no, I was in uh, The Irishman. I was the priest who baptized the babies. Oh, yeah. I haven't so watched that So I actually show. had a speaking role, which oh. means I get residuals. Really? I don't know how any of that works, but yeah, I got, um, I, I don't know fact, why I got a check the other day for 62 cents. <laughs> Which, because of my vow of poverty, I have to turn into my community. So I was like, here you go. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> I hesitate to laugh, but that is funny. It's um, hysterical. I, I thought it was hysterical. That has nothing to do with prayer, but it popped into my head and it was going to bother me all day if I didn't ask you. Um. I did not get it. No, I did. You know, funny enough. Uh, so I was in The Irishman. So I, I've gotten to know Scorsese through silence. And he's asked me to help him with different films and whatnot. Well, just two. And then the Irishman, he said, well, how would you like to be the priest? And I said, yeah, well, you know, Let's what's go. not to like? And I realized like, and it was a, it was a baby. It was baptizing. And it was baptizing the baby who was supposed to be Robert De Niro's baby. And um, can I tell you a funny story yeah. that has nothing to do with prayer, but it's a really good story. Absolutely. So we're standing around the baptismal font 
in, in a church in Queens that was the, you know, the standing in for the church in Philly. And by the way, no one in that movie had a Philly accent, which sort of bothered me since I'm from Philly and um, they all talk like New Yorkers. So we're standing in the, um, around the baptismal font and it's me. I'm not, I'm sorry to drop names, Robert De Niro behind me, Joe Pesci, the woman who plays De Niro's wife and this altar boy. Okay. Uh, who's right next to me. You know, I was like 14, 15, which is how old my nephew is. So I know that kind of that age mm-hmm. of kids. So anyway, we're standing there waiting for the baby to come in. They're bring, they have to bring in a real baby, right? We're going to baptize a real baby, not a doll. Yeah. And uh, this kid says to me, this is a completely true story. This, we're just standing there. You know, people are talking a little bit. The kid says, um, now he's right next to me. And he says, um, is there anyone famous in this movie? <laughs> and I said, um, I pointed behind me. I said, uh, do you know who Robert De Niro is? He turns around, looks him right in the face, turns back to me and says, no. <laughs> and De Niro sort of shrugs his shoulders. And I said, um, do you know who Joe Pesci is? And he looks Joe Pesci, you know, it's literally like a foot away, looks yeah. at Joe Pesci, looks him, looks him square in the face, turns back to me and says, no, mm. I don't know who that is. Mm. And Joe Pesci says, kid, home alone. And the kid goes, home alone. <laughs> he Not said, was for- your hair on fire? So I was like, you know, that's what he knew. Oh, he didn't know funny. anything about Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, but mm. home alone, he knew. It was pretty, it was really funny. How quickly. This kid was the most blase <laughs> child well, actor. He'd never watched any of that. Like, Probably not. And and with the no. world that we live in, my kid's not allowed to watch any of the movies for the most part. No, they're Niro. not watching Martin Scorsese. He's 11. <laughs> well, watching like Goodfellas. I or... don't even want him watching Lethal Weapon, the stuff with Pesci in it, just because it's yeah. not really appropriate for my 11-year-old. Well, exactly. So. There you go. So, But they Home Alone, he knew. It was, I'll never forget that. It was so funny. And then they brought this baby. and uh, Baby knew uh, who De Niro was. was. What's that? The baby knew who De Niro was. Well, the, they brought the baby and they I was, did the baptism. It was like, oh, that was, you know, you did that really well. And I was like, yeah, I've been doing baptisms yeah, this for is a what long I do. time. They hired me to play to myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to baptize this baby, but not actually baptize it. But did all the, it did all the motions. <laughs> um, it was fun. <laughs> that is fun. It makes me laugh. It was yeah. hyster- That was really, is there any famous in this movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the people that are standing here, probably. Yes. <laughs> he literally looked at him. It was the, it was, you would never believe it was how he looked, turned around, looked him in the face and said, no, you know, it'll be good as he gets older and he turns on Netflix and he sees all these other shows and he starts watching like the Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn movies that Nero has been in all the funny ones with Adam Sandler and whatnot. He'll go, Oh, I know that. Oh my, Oh my, I missed it. I had it with my one chance and I missed it, but that's okay. That's oh my okay. gosh. Um, so there is a part in there, though. You're talking with a girl, and I'm going to say her last name. Is it Haring or Herring? A- Andrea Herring. Andrea Herring. Herring. Yeah. There's yeah. a part in there. There's like an exercise. I think you call it like the I am here exercise or something like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot, but I do still kind of struggle, even after reading that chapter, of connecting how that goes to my prayer life. Yeah, so it's a, it's a story about working with an acting company, um, and and the acting company was doing a, um, a, a, a sort of a, what would you call it, like a voice lesson, mm-hmm. and this the teacher was Andrea Herring, who's a voice teacher, and it was about being present, right? It was about being present to where you are, noticing where you are, and for the point of the, uh, the question is, it's noticing where God is present in your life already, right? Mm. It's paying attention basically. And in the voice exercise, you're saying, I am here in this room with these people at this moment. And rather than just saying it, she enables you to, she she asks you to kind of look at where you are, think of who you are, look at who you're with. And then, so when you say it, it has much more meaning. The point is we sometimes just rush through our days without actually noticing. Mm. And a lot about prayer and this particular prayer the examination of conscience is about, excuse me, is about noticing where God is present in your day already, right? So it's not simply waiting for God. It's it's noticing where where God has been. So it's it's a it's about noticing and being attentive and you know and paying attention. Yeah. Um. This is a bigger convers topic or question than just prayer, but it, it is related. And and the the thought came to me as I was reading through. So on page like I think it's like eighty eighty one or something like that. You quote C.S. Lewis. Um, as he talks about the image of God over time. And mm-hmm. so you say, you know, Lewis says that he, God, it must change. In a grief observer, mm-hmm. he writes, my idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after yeah. time. He has to shatter it himself, which is the part I want to talk about. He is the great iconoclast 
could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? Yeah. What does that look like? And and more importantly, how does that relate, do you think, to the uh, culture of deconstruction as a word that I hate that kind of seems to exist in my generation, but I think it's just more vocal maybe because of social media, but this seems to imply that that is almost a rite of passage as it comes to seeing and understanding God. And maybe I'm reading it all wrong. No, no, not at all. That's exactly right. So the idea is that we have these images of God primarily from our childhood um, that really are sometimes um, unhelpful. So if you have an image of God, for example, if your images of, of God is basically the judge, right? Or as one of my friends said, memorably, this is from this acting troupe, a parole officer. I love that. Hmm. So not only is it the judge, but you've already done something wrong and God is waiting for you to sin. The judge or the, the taskmaster or the one uh, someone said to me last night who was withholding, right? And so, you know, meaning withholding love, it's very conditional. You know, mm-hmm. if you do this, I will love you. And if you don't do this, I won't love you, et cetera. Where does that come from? A lot of it comes from our parents, our family of origin, teachers, you know, mentors, uh, authority figures. So here's the thing. A lot of people go into life with that image of God as the judge. Well, that's not God. I mean, yes, yeah, judging and caring about how we do is part of what, who God is, but that's not the sum total of the reality of God. And so in order for people to kind of experience God as God, right? Sometimes those that's like an idol. You sometimes have to get rid of that image that you have because it's your God, right? It's, it's mm. some construct you've had. So I usually do this with people in spiritual direction. People say, you know, God, God, the judge, God, God's mad at me. So where's that coming from? Well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm my, my prayer is really dry and these terrible things are happening to me. I know God's mad at me because I've sinned. Okay. So that's an interesting image of God. So God's mad at you. What is, and I will say, what, what's your, let's talk about an experience of God that you've had in the past. Let's talk about that. And usually people have had something they can, they can kind of uh, connect to. So I'll say, tell me about your experience of God. Well, you know, I was walking along the river once and I was sort of minding my own business and suddenly I had this image of God as just, calm and peace and the sense of uh, joy in my life. And it was really beautiful. And I just felt so totally calm. So I was like, well, that's interesting. So God manifests God's self to you as calm and peace. Yes. So the people and people are usually like able to say that. Well, that sounds a lot different from your image of God that you've just told me that you had. Mm. So let's talk about your God that you've seemed to have created and actually God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's that. And, and sometimes that's an idol. And, you know, interestingly in the, you know, the, the first commandment is you don't, you don't have any idols in front of me, you know, you shall have no idols before me. And, and I think that's what Lewis is talking about. I totally agree with that. And look, I mean, sometimes it's not as, um, uh, you know, violent as that, you know, like destroy your idols. Sometimes it's just, look, you, you need to move on to new images of God that are healthy for you. Mm. That, that's what that means. And, and it's God, I mean, God's going to continually reveal God's self to you in new ways. And, you know, who are you to say, this is not you? Yeah. It, well, it's, 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 it's helpful for me to, to realize that ripping apart aspects of God that I misunderstood or was lied to about is, is healthy. Um, and yeah, possibly it's an idol. Yeah. Right. And it, it will prevent you from who wants to encounter God, who's the parole officer. Mm. Right. And, you know, look, you know, look at, we just, all we have to do is as the, as a Christian, look at the images of God that Jesus offers right? The, 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 the father who welcomes the prodigal son. One of my favorites that we kind of overlook, the woman sweeping her house for the coin, the, the good shepherd. I mean, these are really gentle, searching, loving images. And so, you know, why not have those images of God? Why not have the ones that, at the very least, why not have the ones that Jesus tells us, you know, instead <laughs> of God, the parole officer, God who hates you. Yeah. This is an aside. I get yelled at more often by Christians when I quote Jesus without giving them the verse, and they just yell at me, telling me that I'm being some whatever, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what you're mad about, but here's where I took that from. I just, I take it out of, con- not out of context, but I'll just, here's what I want to say to that. And they're like, you can't, you're just, I'm like, I don't know why you're not mad at Meaning me. Meaning because Jesus's words themselves actually um, bother people or challenge them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, no, you say something like judge not, well, what, what are you talking about? You know what we have to judge? Well, actually, yeah. no, we do not. 
Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you know, and you say, I always say, you know what I always say to that? I always say, hey, get mad at Jesus. Yeah. You know, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Redirect your anger. You're not mad. Well, at welcome, me. you know, welcome <laughs> the stranger and, you know, clothe the naked. Oh, well, yeah. who, what says who? You know, those people are lazy. <laughs> hey, you know, take it up with Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not making this up. Um, I want to be a good steward of your time. So, final question. So, when you sure. try to wrap words around what God is, what the divine is, whatever that is, what do you say to that? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas said that if we can define it, it's not God, mm. right? So our words are always going to be limited. You know, that's a, what a, what a great question for, I'll say for me. Okay. So for me, it's, it's about Jesus, right? So the, the encounter with God is, is the encounter with Jesus. It, so Jesus really is, is the, what I come back to, but then I also look at God as love, um, presence, you know, it's a big word for me, uh, mystery, you know, it's funny, uh, a friend of mine who's a Jesuit, um, since we we're talking about the Jesuits at the beginning, prayed at the inauguration, right? A couple, whenever it was a couple of weeks ago, it feels like six years ago, <laughs> and um, of, of President Biden. And he started, I thought this was really lovely. I'd never heard this. He's a theologian. And he said, holy mystery of love. I thought, mm. boy, that's, that's a good one too. I'll have to steal that. Steal but that, yeah. but, but, but Jesus, basically, that's how I encounter God. Mm. But look, you, other people have, you know, there's a million different, I mean, there's the, the, the Muslims have not, the, the 99 names of God, which I think is kind of beautiful. Yeah. So it depends on the person. What would you say? I'll ask you the question. Oh, that's not how these podcasts no, work. No, it is. It's fair. Come on. <laughs> so, um, so I've been asked that question before, and I will say my mean, my definition of what I think God is literally seems to change like weekly. Just, hmm. uh, it's, it's probably healthy. I don't what know. Is it this, what is it this week? Uh, so I, I actually recently, and I wrote this down just the other day ago, because I was I've having, so I've done multiple funerals in the last six months. I buried my dad in August at 58 and like wow. i've just had a rough Did you year say 58 a cancer yeah no, um yeah so it's been it's just been mad and so recently literally since the last funeral that i was at um like i've i've gone back to something that i used to say and i found a lot more home in that than i did when i originally wrote it down because i just write down random stuff or like voice voice memo when i'm driving 40 minutes mm -hmm. to work um like i just and I had the thought actually earlier when you were talking about, you know, people are trying to describe mystical experiences, like that's what I think the Bible is. So I, I seem to think that whatever the words are today are just a metaphor that I haven't quite given words to yet. Like that's what God is to me. Like whatever it is, the words that I give it are just a metaphor. Um, even when I say love, like, and I, I'm still not oh, sure. actually saying it very well. Like I'm not adequately yeah. telling you what I'm trying to say. So I know how hard the question is, um, but it's a good question, and I think you know I one of the one of the sort of opening questions I have when I start meeting with people in spiritual direction is what's your image of God, mm. and they always stumble. Oh, well, I don't know, but it's it's important to get them to 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 express it, to talk about it because that's going to affect their prayer and their relationship. So you know, if you say God, I mean, look, if you say God is judge, well, that you know you don't want to say that's wrong for people, but you want to mm. say, all right, well, that's going to affect how you pray. Mm -hmm. you know, to your parole officer, right? Yeah. But if you say God is love or God is presence or God is um, invitation, freedom, then that that's going to change a little bit. And I do think you're right. It does change for me from day to day. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's probably, it's probably healthy. Yeah. And I will say the character of God is easier for me to answer. So uh, recently mm -hmm. over the last year, um, I have begun to see way more godly things and the women that I come in contact with and the women in my life. Like mm. as I look at a whole of the way that people are treating people, the men that are in my life, including oftentimes me, doesn't seem very much like the God that I want to see. Well, you know, I'll recommend a book that you'd love. It's called, it's a great title. You'll, you'll get the title instantly. It's called She Who Is. Mm. And it's about um, a sort of feminist, uh, feminine imagery of God in the Bible. It's by a woman named Elizabeth Johnson. It's just beautiful, but. So, so, yeah, I know Elizabeth John Fordham, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful book. And it's basically saying that, you know, there are there are images of God, you know, for example, the woman who sweeps the, the house, that's an that's a feminine image of God. And also mm. the spirit in Hebrew is feminine. And it's just really beautiful. Just mm. just these beautiful wisdom is feminine. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'll have to email her. I'll buy her book today. Um, I actually had her on back a while. Like, gosh, the first year of the show, um, we talked about oh, her Beth book Johnson, on Darwin. She's, in, she's yeah. incredible. Yeah, she's um. She's brilliant. Um, she is brilliant. Yeah. She is brilliant. I, uh, I'm, I'm friends with her and sometimes she's done, I've done interviews with her, like, you know, like, a to talk about her new book and she's done interviews with me. And mm -hmm. so sometimes when I interview her, I'm sure you have these experiences. 
you want to just pause and say after the after she answers the question like wow you are really smart <laughs> i do have those yeah i do have those um i uh, so when i told a friend that i won't call him out here um who is a a, a seminary professor that when I, years ago when I interviewed her and he's like, you realize like there's a top 10 list of like female theologians and she's like in everyone's. He's like, but nobody really, he's like, she's the theologian for the people that teach theology. Yeah, that's a very good, yeah. And I was like, oh, I liked her. She was really, and, and, she's and really you can kind. See why. And, she's a very down to earth person and she knows how to explain scripture and theology in a way. One of the reasons is she taught, I think eighth grade when she was starting mm. out as a nun. And I think she said, look, you know, you just have to be clear and there's no reason not to be clear, but mm. boy, she really, she really knows her stuff. I'm she's, buy that book she, and, today. She's, and she's delightful too. But anyway, She Who Is is a great book yeah. for that topic. I'll buy that book today. I appreciate that recommendation. Where do you want people to go as they end this and they go do something? Because honestly, you do a lot of stuff with the examine, which is something I think everyone should be doing. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't talk about because this book is literally like 300 pages. Um, so where do you want people to go? Uh, you mean in terms of uh, wherever? Uh, yeah. Well, I would say I would say you know I I spent ten years writing the book, so I'm sure the book will be helpful for you. It's mm -hmm. it's learning to pray. It's available in print, audio, um, ebook. It's available as they say everywhere books are sold. Do you read it? Um, I beg your pardon. Do you read the audio? I do. Oh, yeah, nice. I recorded it. Took forever. I'll bet it but um, people like the author to do it. So I would say there. And then also, if you want to keep up with me on social media, I'm on Facebook under Father James Martin. I'm on Twitter and Instagram under James Martin SJ, as in Society of Jesus. So I'm kind of all over social media. But yeah, the book is what I really would want people to 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 to, to read. And also, where do I want them to go? I want them to go and pray and discover God's mm. desire for you. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's good. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you tremendously to those of you that support the show on Patreon. Could not do this without you. Be well, everyone, and be blessed. We'll talk next week. Mm -hmm.